it was our first anniversary, me and Pafoas, our first anniversary, and, and I wanted to get a really special gift. So I was thinking long and hard about what to get her, and, and I, I, I came up with all kinds of ideas, but this wasn't quite right, this wasn't quite right, and then I had an idea. I was like, yes, this is perfect. I have the perfect gift for our first anniversary, and it is a blender. Now, okay, now, now you laugh, but see, see, for our, our honeymoon, we went down to Baja, Mexico, and I thought it'd be really neat to have a blender. We could make our own margaritas and kind of relive our honeymoon, and, and so, so, so I got this little blender, and, and we didn't have a whole lot of money. We were two starving people in our young, early 20s living in a tiny apartment, and so I got this little cheap blender and, and gave, it to, gave it to Pafo, and, and she, in her very nice, polite way, was, oh, thank you, and um, I, I don't think she had the heart to tell me her real reaction, but my mom, however, who was there, <laughs> did. <laughs> my mom, in all of her wisdom and many years of marriage, turned to me and said, son, for your anniversary, you do not buy something that plugs in. <laughs> that is not romantic. <laughs> and so we, we joke about that to this day. But, but I think about this, and I think I, that I thought I had the perfect gift, this loving gift, but I was, I was way off, totally off. And I had this understanding of love in gift giving, but I was wrong. And I think, I think this happens far more than any of us are willing to admit. I think this happens in gifts. Guys, have you ever really blown it with a gift? Okay, ladies, I, you can blow it with gifts as well, but you're a little more thoughtful. But gentlemen, yeah, fess up. I know it's happened. It can happen with gifts. It can happen with our words, our actions. We do or say something that we think is loving, but the truth is we miss the boat. And I think this, this is really common. And I think the reason for this is that we often make up the list of what's loving. Okay? And now, why do I say that? And here's why. In, over the years, I, I've sat with Pafoa and, and countless couples and singles and, and kids and all those, okay? countless people, hours of counseling people. I have never once heard somebody say, I'm not loving. Think about that. Never once have I ever heard someone say, I'm not loving. I've heard people say things like, um, I'm, I'm insensitive, I'm jealous, I'm selfish, I'm controlling, I'm insecure, I'm lazy. I've heard people say countless things, but I have never once heard someone say, I'm not very loving. So why do you think that is? Well, I've got my theory. Because in our minds, we create a list of what's loving. And this happens to be a list that we always do okay on. We always pass this one. We may not get an A all the time, but we never flunk our own list. But we make up a list of what's loving, and it just happens to coincide with stuff we do or say or gifts we buy. So when we make up the list, we always pass, and therefore, we never see ourselves as unloving. I've never seen it happen. 
But what if? What if we aren't the ones to make up the list? What if that's not how love works? What if we aren't the ones to define what's loving and what's not loving? And I think that's kind of what happens, is we take control over making a list that's not ours to make. So the Bible describes God. God is love. Love was a major theme in Jesus' teaching. In fact, he even says the two most important commandments of the entire Old Testament, two-thirds of the Bible, the two most important things that are said have to do with love. So what if we aren't the ones to come up with the list of what's loving? What if God is? And thankfully, we've been going through the book of Romans And thankfully, where we're at now gives us this type of list. We've been going through Romans 12 in this series called True Spirituality. We started off Romans 12 with verse 1. Verse 1 challenged us to surrender everything we are and everything we want to God. Verse 2 challenged us to, to say separate from the world's system of values and instead align our hearts with God's system of values. And then last week, verses three through eight, Paul talked about being honest with ourselves, being honest about our strengths and our weaknesses, to have a sober or an honest self-assessment. And now we move into verse nine and and Paul shifts and starts to talk about love. So I want to read this passage for you, 9 through 13. I want to read this passage, and I just want to give you a little bit of a warning that there's a lot in this. I'm going to make sense of it, so stick with me, but there's a lot in this passage. So we're going to read, we're actually going to go through verse 16, so 9 through 16. So if you want to follow along, we're in Romans 12. You can follow on your phone or your Bible, or you can follow along up on screen. So Romans 12, 9 through 16. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Another word for zeal could be eagerness. So never be lacking in eagerness or zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor. Or think of that like excitement or enthusiasm. Keep your spiritual enthusiasm. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, which is another word for suffering or hard times, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Woof. Okay. Anyone else feeling a little overwhelmed there? Okay. I counted 20 different commands in those seven verses. 20 commands. And they're all strung together. Did you notice that like there's no apparent order or structure or system to it? It's just one command after another. 
So how in the world are we supposed to teach something like this? How are we supposed to understand this list of 20 commands? Well, to answer that question, I want to teach you a fancy word, okay? You guys up for learning a really fancy word? You can impress people at parties next time you're standing around, okay? So the word is paranesis. Paranesis. Now, okay, this is not a pair of nieces. It is not a prayer for geeses, okay? It is not past the Reese's. The word is paranesis. Now, paranesis is a loosely structured, rapid-fire list of moral commands. It's a style of writing that was actually very common in the first century. A loosely structured, rapid-fire list of moral commands. Doesn't that sound like what we just read? (laughs) That's exactly what it is. So if you've ever run across something like this in, in the Bible and be like, what do I do with this? Just go with the flow. Because here's the danger, is particularly for modern Western Christianity, we, we often try to put structure on it. Oh, the first three commands are this, and the second three commands are this, and the fourth, when, where there's no structure actually there. So what, Paul, what felt really unstructured, that's exactly what Paul meant it to be. Because that was actually a normal way of writing. And, and I, can't really come, I couldn't really come up with a, a parallel nowadays. All I can think of is if, if your mom or your dad just started, was lecturing, let, let's say one kid does something wrong, so they drag all the kids onto the couch, sit them all dad, and dad starts to lecture. And he starts getting really animated, and then all of a sudden he just starts rambling on and on, like doesn't even take a breath. That's the closest thing I could think of of what paranesis would be like in modern day. Okay? So, so think of it, the key here is not to force a structure onto it, but instead to look for a common theme. Paranesis paragraphs always have a common theme. The best places to find them are at the top or the bottom. You know, it, it's your old uh, uh, high school writing, it's your introductory sentence, your thesis statement, or your conclusion statement. For, for this section, it's actually right there at the top. So, so let's go back and read the very first part of verse 9. And it says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Now in Greek, it's actually even cooler because it's an incomplete sentence. It, in Greek, it literally says, the love sincere. That's all it says. There's no verb in it. I mean, it practically screams heading, doesn't it? So that's what Paul did, is he wrote this heady. He said, the love sincere. And then he described what sincere love was. And and I'll add one more piece to this. So it's the NIV that translates this particular Greek word as sincere. But as I was looking at it, I actually don't think that's the best translation of it. I think the ESV does a much better job and describes it as that love must be genuine. Because this Greek word kind of has this meaning of not fake or artificial or two-faced or hypocritical. And, and so I actually think this idea of genuine captures it a little better. So the theme of this paranesis, to use our big fancy word for today, the theme is genuine love. And the reason I like, to, I like genuine over sincere is you could be sincere and wrong, but you can't be genuine and wrong. You can't go out and buy a genuine Apple Thunderbolt cable 
and have it also be a fake Thunderbolt cable. That can't be. A genuine Thunderbolt cable is a genuine cable. Genuine love is genuine love. It is the right way to love. So that's why I think this is actually a better translation of this phrase of the love genuine. And then Paul rattles through 20 different commands to describe genuine love. So I think one thing we see, one big thing we see out of this passage, and it corrects the mistake almost all of us make, one big important lesson is this, that genuine love is defined by God, not us. Genuine love is defined by God, not us. We are the ones who usually want to define love because we define it in such a way to make us loving, to convince us that we're okay. But if we let God be the one to make the list, not us, we let God be the one to make the list, all of a sudden we might have to own up to say, you know, maybe I'm not quite as loving as I think I am. Maybe I'm not quite as loving to my parents as I think I am. I'm not quite as loving to my spouse, my wife, my husband. When we let God make the list, because genuine love is defined by God, not us. When we make the list, it's fake love. It might be close to genuine love, but it's still fake love. So my encouragement to all of us is Let's start adopting God's list of love. So remember, we were talking earlier about, about how we make the list, and usually when we make the list, we turn out okay. We at least pass. Because I'm not sure, even if I were to ask each one of them, go around individually and ask you, are you a loving or unloving people? I'm willing to bet 100% would say loving. But we all do stuff that's very unloving sometimes. So when we take this list, it allows us to transform our list into God's list. It challenges us to ask the honest question from last week, an an honest self-assessment. It allows us to take an honest self-assessment instead of a skewed self-assessment. So that's actually something we're going to do today. I'm going I'm to try something different that I've never done in a sermon before. I'm actually going to give you all a chance to do a little bit of a self-assessment. So we've got a handout that that some folks are going to be passing out. I I have taken Paul's 20 commands, listed them out on a little sheet here, and I've given you columns to say um, rarely, sometimes, often. And so, for instance, the first one, do you hate what is bad or evil? Do you hate what is bad or evil? Do you do that rarely, sometimes, or do you do it often? So I'm actually going to, we're going to take some time, and if we can put on some music, put on a little background music, and we're going to take five minutes or so, grab one of the pens. We got pens floating all over the place. Grab one of these pens, or if you need a pen, just raise your hand, and one of our, our folks will get one for you. So I want you to measure up your love against God's list of genuine love.
If you don't want to show this to people, you, you can even like keep it covered up like you remember back in school, okay? If, you, if you're afraid, you might come out unloving. But yeah, so we're going to take a few minutes. I'm actually going to walk down here, uh, sit down, take a few minutes, and then I'll be up in about five minutes. Um, after you've done the ratings, I've got two questions along the bottom that I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you with two questions. One, what is one area of genuine love where you need to align yourself with God? And then last one where the rubber meets the road, what are, excuse me, what are two ways you can practice that area of genuine love? Okay, so go for it, and I'll be back up in a few minutes. Well, so for me, as I was, as I was looking at th this list, um, the one that stuck out to me was the, which one, fourth one, uh, fifth one down. Are you eager to know God better? One of the drawbacks of being around ministry for a long time and going to seminary is, is I know God's character and, and the Bible somewhat well, and I think I can get really, really content with the amount I know God. And so I don't think, that, like, that was one of them I marked rarely. Because I don't think I am eager to know God better. I'm pretty comfortable kind of sitting where I'm at and, and letting life go through and do okay with life and do okay with how I know God. And so, so, so for me, that was, that was a big one. When I, when I read that phrase, am I eager to know God better? No, I'm not eager. It's kind of one of those nice to things like going to the gym. It might happen occasionally, but it doesn't happen more often. And so that, that, that's what, what it was for me. I don't know what it was for you, but hopefully one of these, hopefully as you were reading through one of these, God touched your heart and said, this is where I want you to grow. So for me, as I thought about th this next week, I, I, I thought of a couple things. One is um, a buddy of mine gave me a great book about God's calling to pastorship. Uh, and, and, I've, I, and I haven't read it yet. I've been really, I've been wanting to read it. I said, you know what? I'm going to start that. I probably, I'm not going to finish it this week, but I'm going to start that this week because I, I, it's to know God's call on my role here at River Life as pastor a little better. So, so, so I'm going to start that week. And then another one is um, I, I have some papers to write in the coming weeks uh, for, I, I'm, I'm working on or, what's called ordination, which means, and in about a year or so, I'm going to level up from pastor to reverend, but I've got a whole lot of writing to do between now and then. Uh, and so, so that's something I'm working with the, the district, and, and part of that's going to entail reading some of the heavy theology books. And so one of the things I decided was that I'm not just going to read the section that I have to for the paper. I'm going to finish that section and then find another one of the sections that strikes my heart, and I'm going to read that. So I've got a couple things I'm going to do this week. Do you have a couple things you're going to do this week? Do you have one of those where God really said this? This is where I want you to grow. This is where I want you to align your list of love with my list of love and gave you a couple ideas of how to do it. Because I think this is a great way to honor Paul's paragraph of perinesis because part of the goal of perinesis is to, of, of this writing style is to make an impact on the reader and I hope this list of 20 things and where you fall has made an impact on you
that God has spoken through it, because then I think we're honoring Paul and God's goal out of Romans 12 about how, how can we have some true spirituality by aligning our definition of love with God's. Because remember, genuine love is defined by God, not us. Let's pray. God, you are love. Lord, we are not. Any love, any good that comes from us is from you. Lord, so I pray that we be a loving church filled with families that are full of love. Um, God, but more importantly, Lord, I pray that we align our hearts with you. So help us, Lord. We cannot do this in our selfish, broken, sinful state. We cannot love the way that you call us to love, the way that you love us. So help us. Holy Spirit, help us love so much better in our church, in our families, with our kids and our parents and our siblings, on our jobs. Lord, so let us be a church that is marked by genuine love from you, not our own agendas, but we cannot do that on our own strength. Lord, I I also thank you. I close with thanking you that you love every person in this room, not for anything that they do, but exactly for who they are, your creation. So I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the model of our love and the one who loved us first. In his name I pray, amen.